shared a lot of this Sunday morning in regards to worship, but I wanted to visit John 4 tonight. And I wanted you to see this. This is the story with Jesus visiting the woman at the well. And I just want to read a few verses of scripture. And I want them to stand out to us this tonight. And, and I just want to share some things with you about the worship of God and about the water of our life. And so I want you to read this in John 4 verse 7. There came or there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me to drink. Verse 9, then said the woman of Samaria to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me to drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. Verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him. In him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him. Shall be in him a well of water. Springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. He tells her, call her husband and so forth. Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ and they went out of the city and came unto him. Now, I just want to bring to your remembrance some things that I think are very important. Jesus is asking of this woman for her water. And y'all, when we talk about water, we understand this in the context of life. That's what we understand it as. What is the gift of God? Eternal life, right? And so when Jesus said, if you knew who was talking to you, if you knew the gift of God, which is eternal life, you would ask of me and I'd give you living water. And it would spring up in you as a well of living water. So he's talking about life. And that's what water represents. If scientists were to suddenly find that there is water on Mars, imagine how revolutionary that would be. Imagine how excited the scientific world would be. Because if there's water, then there must be life. It's just associated with that. So Jesus is telling this woman at the well, give me water to drink. He's not talking about Jacob's well. He's talking about her life. I want your life. Give me your life. Give me your water. Now we come to find out that her water is filthy. It is corrupt. She lives in sin. She lives far from God. She doesn't know how to worship God. She doesn't know where God is to even worship. She is confused with Samaritan worship and Jewish worship and wondering where is God. She has been married five times. She's presently living with a man. She is a lady of ill repute. She's probably not welcomed by the women of her village because she had to go get water by herself in the heat of the day. And that is not an easy task 
So she's not welcomed by people. And here is this man, a Jewish man that approaches her and says, give me your water. Give me your corruption. Give me your filth. Give me your sin. Give me your failure. Give me your five marriages. Give me this situation that you're living with a man right now. Give me your water. I want that from you. And if you know who's talking to you and what the gift of God is, you will ask me for water and I will give you water. What I want to do is this. I want to take the water that presently exists in you. I want to take that away from you and I want to give you pure water. I want to give you a pure life, a holy life, a living life, a clean life. And that's what Jesus wanted to give her. And I think it is significant why we read this in John 4. That when the disciples returned, they're asking Jesus, why are you talking to this woman? But the story says she left her water pots and she went back into the city and she told all of the men in the city, come and see a man. And that was what was so exciting to me is that this woman with the water she had received from Jesus, she went back and she gave an appetite of drink To all of the people in her city. There was something in her in a moment's time that was different. It wasn't there when she originally went to that well. But when she went back to the city, she was a different woman. And she no longer had her filthy and corrupt water in her. But she had living water in her. And it gave such an appetite in the men that she had to tell them, come and see a man. And they went out to that man so that they could drink as well. And I want you to read this with me just a couple of chapters over in John chapter 7. And I want you to see this very important passage in verse 37. And it says this in in John 7, 37. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And y'all, it is very difficult for me to not attach the significance of John chapter 4 with the woman at the well to this promise that is coming to people in John chapter 7 because she did drink from Jesus. And she went back to her city and she poured out that water she drank to every man in that city so that they could drink. And they came and they met Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that they believed on him according to his own words. They heard Jesus themselves and they believed on him. And I just want to say this to you because I, I, th- I think it is so common today and I think it's so unusual that people really today, and it's a growing number of people even in Pentecostal circles that really don't drink from Jesus. It's, it's one of the most confounding things that I'm trying to get my head around as I go around in Pentecostal circles is the number of Pentecostals who really do not live a spirit-filled life. They are more governed by their flesh than they are the Holy Spirit. And it's a remarkable thing to me. Because really what Jesus wants to do in our life is give us such a a dynamic explosion of water of life from us. 
that we could literally go into Baton Rouge and, and water the whole city with Jesus Christ, right? I mean, Jesus didn't say to the people, if you thirst, come to me and drink. And out of my belly shall flow a river of living water. Read it. He said, out of your belly shall flow a river of living water. And beloved, if people are going to drink from Jesus today, then somehow in some way and somebody has got to allow that water you drank from Jesus to flow out of you. Somehow you've got to get past your flesh. You've got to get past your tradition. You've got to get past your religious exterior that is so hardened and sharp and inactive and uncooperative with the Holy Ghost. And you've got to let the water of Christ come out of you. It's the answer to your families and your children and your grandchildren and the people you work with and our school system. It's the water of life in you. People are, do not need a, a, a teaching on Jesus. They need Jesus. And that water is in you. And, and if people are going to drink Jesus, it's going to be because that water of Jesus is coming out of your life. But very few people today seem to be drinking from Jesus. It just seems that most people have experiences or encounters with Jesus at a well. But they don't drink. I had a meeting with a man at the well. He was very astonishing. Very impressive. There was something unique about the man at the well. He talked to me about Jacob. He talked to me about the gift of God. He talked about water and never thirsting again. It was an incredible experience, guys. But people don't drink. That's about all they do. That's about all they say. Oh, I had an incredible encounter with Jesus in my life. Had an incredible experience with Jesus in my life. And that's about the limit or the extent of what a lot of Pentecostals can do in regards to their testimony. But how much better it is to actually drink. To actually drink in Jesus Christ so that we have living water in which to give. She left her water pot and watered everybody. Now, why does Jesus want to give us living water? One answer is, of course, so people can drink. But there's another answer that is very significant, and it should matter to you. And I want to speak this to you. Because I want to tell you something, that when you are participating with a group of people who are serious about the advancement of the kingdom of God, then Satan cannot sit idly by... And let those people do whatsoever it is they will. He must bring an aggressive attack, a frontal attack, a flank attack, a strategy against that people to disrupt them, to dismantle them, or to cause them to be inactive. And so we have to understand. I, I was saying this earlier to a staff meeting today. I said, you could not go and casually join David's company. You couldn't. If you were impressed with King David, and you were impressed with his anointing, but he is not yet on the throne of Israel, he's just anointed to become that, and to have that position one day, 
And he's out in the caves of Adullam. And you say, man, I really like this guy. He seems to have a heart for God. I love his worship. I just like to sit. You can't do that with David. Your association with David will be quickly regarded by the enemies of David that you're an enemy of theirs. Because you're a friend of David. And beloved, when we come around Jesus Christ and we mean business with Jesus... We mean to do a sincere walk of faith with Jesus Christ. And we are concerned about his glory in the earth. You can't casually be a part of people like that. You have now engaged yourself in a battle. And you have to take the presence of God very seriously in your life. Or you will do bouts with depression. You will do bouts with despair. You will do bouts with anxiety and stress and worry. Because that will be the realities that hell will bring against your life. And God in his presence is your deliverance. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand is the, full, is the fullness of joy in our life. And that has to be real to us. This cannot be a game that we play. It has to be very real. And so I want you to see this in Luke chapter 11, one of the benefits of water. And I say this to you tonight, that you will take your relationship with Jesus very, very seriously. Because principalities and powers do. They take it very seriously. They're not playing. They're not casual. You open up the door to principalities and powers of darkness, they're bursting in. Because you granted permission. Just unlock the door. You don't have to turn the knob. But just unlock the door in a way of permission. And they're coming. Might be innocent to you. Might be fun to you. But it's serious to them. Serious. It's eternal. It's life and death. And so in Luke chapter 11. The Bible says this. And I just wanted. This is why when we join Jesus. I just want you to see this. In verse 23. And he that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. And he's talking about just previously they were accusing Jesus of casting out devils by the power of Beelzebub. And Jesus says in verse 20, but if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man armed keeps his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him, like Russia's doing to the Ukraine. And overcome him and take him, take from him all his armor wherein he trusteth and divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me. He's talking about warfare. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When... The unclean spirit is gone out of a man. He walks through dry places seeking rest. And that word rest is recreation. Just a place that is a good habitation for him. It's not taking a nap. And finding none, he says, I will return to my house. That person I came out of. I will go back to that person. That I came out of. And when he comes. He finds it swept. And garnished. Then. He goes. And takes to him. Seven other spirits. More wicked than himself. 
And they enter that person and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. And so I share this with you guys because what is it that the devil or demons seeking? I've taught you this many times before, but just as a way of remembrance tonight, the devils love dry places and they're seeking rest. That's what they're seeking. And rest is not a nap. But rest is an attitude or a behavior in people that gives those evil spirits comfort, depression, despair, stress, anxiety, unbelief, fear. As a deer scents water and can smell it miles away and is attracted to it so the demons can smell the scent of fear. They can smell the scent of worry. They can smell the scent of anxiety. They can smell the depression. They can smell it from China, from North Korea, wherever they are in the world. They can smell it on you and they come. Like that. And they're there. And they're looking for dry places. They like dry places. The title of this message tonight is, is your water wet? Because some people have dry water. They don't have the water of Jesus. They have dry water. Some of you are here, you know you're dry. You know you're dry and whatever your mode of operation is, whatever your condition of faith is, you know that you're not even budging from this place and you're not going to until you become desperate to drink the water of Jesus. Jesus gives you living water springing up in you like a living fountain, ever refreshing itself, never running dry. Why? So when devils come around your life, they are not attracted to it because it's not dry. It's very wet. And they don't like that. They're not at home there. They're not comfortable there. They see people praising God. They're not comfortable there. They see people believing God, exercising faith, having a confession of faith against their unbelief, having a confession of joy when they should be depressed and they're battling their depression or, or their confusion with faith and belief in God. That is not attracting devils. That is attracting the Holy Spirit to your life. Now, you don't have to do this, but you can see very clearly that it's biblical that devils go through dry places seeking rest. So Jesus offers you water. So you will be off limits to principalities and powers. But you don't have to drink. He offers it to you, but you don't have to take it. You don't have to praise God. You don't have to believe God. You don't have to exercise faith in God. You can continue to wail, mourn, cry, beg, plead, sit in your seat, do nothing about it. And, and you can live the rest of your life that way. Or you can drink. And you can drink and the demons are driven from you. And I'm not saying you're demon possessed because I don't believe Christians can be demon possessed. 
But the oppression and the attacks of those demons against your life are dispelled by the water of life. And you're putting your faith in Jesus and you believe in the Lord and you're confessing the truth of God. And those demons are dispelled. I want you to keep your place here in the New Testament. And I want you to turn to Leviticus with me. I read this with a Sunday And I just had a strong urge in my spirit to return to this tonight. I'm just going to read it to you. I'm going to take a moment and share this with you. Because I want to teach you something about grace. And the law. And living a victorious life. I am completely sold out to the grace of God. I am a new covenant preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says in Leviticus 19.26. You shall not eat anything with the blood. Neither shall you use enchantment nor observe times. You shall not round the corners of your heads. Neither shall you mar the corners of your beard. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead. Nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a whore, lest the land fall to whoredom and the land become full of wickedness. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Now we live in a community or a culture or a modern day society where we're in the new covenant and people would read this in the old covenant and say well that's the old covenant that's the law we don't have to concern ourselves with that and maybe we do it just in regards to some fundamental things of the way we cut our hair or the way we cut our beards our body piercings our tattoos or whatever it may be and say you know what that's old testament that's the law we're off the hook so it's okay to prostitute your daughter Is God now okay for you to visit wizards? Has God changed his mind and says, now it's okay with me if you communicate with the dead. We're in the new covenant. Do whatever you want to do. No. Have you not heard that the law is good? And the law is holy? And the law is spiritual? And the demands of God that were written in the law of God... The weakness of that, the problem with that was not the problem with the law. It was the problem with us. We could not do it in our flesh. So what did God do? He gave us grace and he gave us the Holy Ghost. Why? Romans 8. So now that the demands of the law, they could be fulfilled in us. But not by us, but by the Holy Spirit. God never changed his mind when he came to the new covenant and said, Oh, you have as many gods as you want. I don't care anymore. And if you want to murder, go murder. It's fine with me. You're you're under grace. You're not under law anymore. And and people can take that and, and bring grace into that ground, which at that point, it is no longer grace. No longer at all. And so when we read things like this, and the reason I'm bringing it back to this point tonight is because, guys, it is very important to God that we understand That there are these tremendous forces that are at work fighting for you. 
There are, there are principalities and powers that come into your car. They come into your home. They come into churches. I mean, they can go anywhere they want to do in this world, but thank God there are angels of the Lord and there's the Spirit of God that is always with us and there are angels of God that are sent to minister to the heirs of salvation. We are never outnumbered. We're never left to our own, but we cannot for one moment forget or underestimate the value and the regard that we need to have for an enemy that is fighting for keeps. And God's not playing and neither is the enemy. And so I ask you this again tonight. How is your water? Are you dry? Are you empty? Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you consumed and concerned with the things of the Lord? The things of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus said... If you're not for me, you're against me. And I believe the devil would respond in like manner. And the devil would say, well, I want to say this too. If you're not for me, then you're against me. So you choose your sides, the Lord or the devil. And if you choose the Lord's side, if you do, if you choose the Lord's side, whichever one of you, if you do choose the Lord's side, you better drink up. You better drink up. You better allow and hunger and thirst and ask Jesus, give me this water to drink. That's why the Bible tells us to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And he is our life. And and isn't it great you don't earn this? And isn't it great that the Holy Spirit is not given to those that are the most holy? But he's given to us so we can be holy. And he's not given to the strongest. He's given to the weak so we can be strong in him. So I want to come. I got to get to this. I want to come to it. Um, this is in Hebrews chapter 12. I'd like there's there's a couple of scriptures I want to go to before I close. And while you're turning to Hebrews chapter 12, can I tell you this? If you are a living human being. Some kind of water is coming out of you. So that's why I asked the question, is your water wet? Because you got water in you and it's coming out. It just might be really dry. It might be really muddy. It might be really corrupt. And in Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says in verse 15, looking diligently, it's talking about the discipline of God in our life. It's talking about God's correction in our life. God chastening us because we are his sons and his daughters. And he's saying in Hebrews 12, it's not pleasant. It's really not. It's not a lot of fun, you know, but our joy is in the fact that we actually are God's children. That's why he's doing it. And he's making us a partaker of his holiness. And so this is a beautiful thing. And so we should rejoice and lift up our hands and make straight our knees and and not be downcast. And he says in verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up. Maybe you could even picture a fountain of living water springing up in you. You know, we sing this song, spring up a well within my soul. It would also mean like a, a root, like a tree that begins to spring up out of the ground. And that little root, it can eventually become a very big and influential tree. And so it says, look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. So 
just, just let me make this comment to you. There are believers who are the children of God. And they have gone through the discipline of their father who loves them and he has chastened them and they're not too pleased with it. Because God, when he comes to chasten you, God doesn't walk down this long staircase from heaven and open your bedroom door with a belt across his neck. Say, I am your heavenly father and you've been bad and I'm here to whip you. It's not what he does, right? What does he do? He puts people in your life that rub you wrong. He puts people in your life that offend you. He puts people in your life that overlook you. He puts people in your life that ignore you. He puts people in your life that trouble you. He puts people in your life that hate you. So God can confront our tendency to not want to face realities about our lack of love, our lack of patience, our lack of kindness, our lack of gentleness, our lack of meekness, and we're unchristlike. And so God puts these people in our life that hurt us sometimes and offend us sometimes and make us so mad sometimes. And we get bitter. We get bitter. We get bitter because we failed to take hold of his grace. And we just got mad. I don't like the way people are treating me. I don't like the way the church did me. I don't like the way they behave. I don't like the way they are. If, if he's a pastor, I'm never going there again. Can't believe that he treated me that way. And these are things that go on all the time. They're bitter. They're upset with life. They wouldn't say that they're mad at God. How could they say they're mad at God? Their theology won't let them. So they're mad at the people of God. And they're well versed in why they have every right to be. Life has robbed them and it shows. You can tell. Wow, life ran over you. You can tell. They're not gracious people. They don't know God's grace. They failed of it. It's not that it's not there for them. And it's not that there's not redemption for them or hope for them. But this is where they failed. They know about God's grace, but they don't know how to operate in it. They don't know how to rejoice in affliction. They don't know how to rejoice when they're overlooked. They don't know how to rejoice when they've been abused. They don't know how to rejoice when they've been offended. They don't know how to count that all glory. So that the glory of Christ can rest upon him. And only the grace of God can teach somebody that. And so he says this. We need to be careful. Don't fail the grace of God. Lest bitterness spring up and trouble you. And that word trouble means to excite you to disturbance. I am disturbed. How many of you have ever been disturbed? I'm disturbed. I'm disturbed by that. Pastor Lee, I'm disturbed by them. Pastor Lee, I've got to warn you about this person. I've got to warn you about that person. I'm disturbed by them. It's a root of bitterness. It's a root of bitterness. And what does it do if we're not careful? What does this happen? If it troubles you, it will end up defiling many people. You know why? They're going to drink your water. They're going to drink your bitter water. 
They're going to drink your disturbance because you're going to disturb them. I wrote, I wrote something in my notes and it just says, it's amazing how troubled people must trouble people. I was so peaceful till you came around. And now I'm so troubled. And so I can say, oh, I'm, I, I don't like you. I don't like this. Don't be around me or all of that. And I said, no, that's not what Jesus would do. What I say is, I was at peace until you came around. Thank you, Lord, for sending them into my life. Because that is your chastening and your discipline in my life to make me holy. So I thank you, God, that it shouldn't trouble me the way that it does. And I thank you for that. And I begin to learn. And so to defile others means to taint or color them. In other words, it's you're bitter and you're upset and it's springing up in you. And what you are going to do by your bitterness is you are going to color the scene for everyone that you can. You're going to do everything in your trouble to get everyone you can to see it the way you do. And you're going to make a lot of more people bitter. And that's the drink you're going to give them. And what is the devil going to do? <laughs> rest. This is my rest. Oh, I love it. Come on, devils. This is a great place. Come on in here and let's just relax. This is so wonderful. The next one is this. And this is in James chapter 3. And we're going to go to Romans 16 as well. But in James chapter 3, I want you to see this is about the water. In James 3, talking about the tongue in verse 8. It's an un, it's no man can tame it. It's an unruly evil. It's full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the father. And therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not so to be. Does a fountain, speaking of water, does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine fig, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? And so I ask you, what's the condition of your water? Because you can speak wonderful things about God. But what do you speak about men? What do you say about people? What do you say about evil people? Because when I read this text, James doesn't qualify anybody. He doesn't say, unless they're evil, unless they're wicked. No. It just talks about humans are made in the image of God. And because they're made in the image of God, there needs to be a respect and a regard for that human and that human's creator. And it is difficult. It is impossible for you to go and speak wonderful words to God. And then speak evil of your fellow man. This deals with all manner of things. Of course it deals with racism. It deals with racism and spiritual elitism. It deals with the way that we view ourselves, that we think we could speak evil of other people because obviously we don't know ourselves. If we did, we would know that we're all the same. We're all the same. Nobody's better than anybody else. The only one that was good was Jesus. And we begin to understand that. Romans 16, this is the last scripture. 
And Paul says in Romans 16, verse 17. I beseech you, brothers, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For they that serve such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. And so we have to be very careful. And I'm using this scripture in conjunction, if you will, with James about how we speak. About our tongue. And the way we talk about other people. This, in, in James 3, he's not even talking about... You know, Christian people is just talking about humanity in general, how we talk about them. And it's very clear in James, it says it's, it's, it's impossible that a spring of water can be both bitter and sweet. It's one or the other. And the determining factor is not how we speak about God, but how we speak about one another. And people that cause divisions and offenses within the body of Christ, they're not speaking from the fountain of living water. The Holy Spirit would never do that. To his body. Need I remind you. That even Jesus Christ. On the night that he was betrayed. Actually knelt down. In one of the greatest sincere acts of love. And literally washed the feet. Of a devil. Named Judas. And he loved him to the very end. And so when God puts people in my life that I find, man, they're very hard to deal with. That is a very difficult person. That person really challenges my faith. They challenge my joy. They challenge my patience. Thank you, God, for bringing something into my life that is going to cause me to rely upon your grace even more. That will expose my lack of love and sincerity to really love unconditionally other people. Thank you, God, that you have revealed to me that I'm treating people. And some people who even call themselves Christians, I'm treating them in a way you would never treat them. And so, God, I want my mouth and my words to line up that the way I speak about you is also the way that I speak about other people. So that truly the fountain of my life is sweet and not bitter. It is pure and it's not contaminated. And, and beloved, I just, I just beseech you for that, that we would understand it. Because when I was preaching to you Sunday morning about the water that Jesus was offering this woman. The significance of that is tremendous. If you're going to take up sides with Jesus Christ, you have declared war on Satan. And Jesus gives you a provision of living water. And we are unctioned in the word of God over and over again in the New Testament to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be led by the Holy Spirit. To walk in the Holy Spirit. So we can live the whole life we want to live. Hoping something will go away. Hoping something will change. Hoping something that will be different. But until you stand up against that devil. In the power of his living water. 
and understand there's a fundamental faith change in my life and I will put up with this no longer, Satan. And I rebuke you and I'm going to rejoice in the Lord and I'm going to attract the Holy Spirit to my life. And Jesus, I want the Holy Ghost. I want to be filled. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to exalt you. You're going to be well watered and you're going to give life to people. And that's the invitation of God to you. And devils, they'll, they'll smell your water and they won't come near you. Because they like dry places. So get full of water. It's for you tonight for the life of me. I don't understand why true Christians would live so dry when they don't have to. Don't have to. This same Jesus that took a woman... At a well. Divorced five times. Living with a man. This same Jesus would give that woman living water. I guarantee you. He would not withhold his living water. From his very own children. If they would want it. But in Pentecost today. So few. Want his water. But I believe you do. I believe you do. And Jordan, I'd like Forrest to sing what you were singing at the end. I'm desperate for you. Just come up here, if you will. And I just want to invite you to stand with me. And I just want to invite all of you who are just thirsty. And just say to God, just come draw near. Just come up here to this altar and let's sing this together. And I'm, I'm just asking you to come and worship God. I'm just asking you to come and praise Him. Just come and sing to Him. And just receive from Him. Believe from Him tonight. Be desperate for Him tonight. And trust Jesus to fill you. Because He says that He will. He says that He will. Now listen to what Jesus said. Out of your belly shall flow a river of living water. Now listen to me, church. Listen to me. How do you ask? How, do you, how does the living water flow? Listen to me. How does it flow? It flows by you opening your mouth and speaking things to God and asking God and praising God. And this is the scripture from the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. And the river comes from your belly, from your heart. And when you open your mouth, you're singing, you're praising, and you're doing it in faith. It's not the action of singing. It's not the action of speaking. It's the action of faith. God, I believe you hear me. And I believe you're going to fill me. That river inside of you begins to spring forth. It comes from within you. If you're looking up here for God to come down, you're a Christian. He lives in you. And it comes from your belly. And you just allow that river to flow up and spring out of you. So worship him. Let's start singing.